in three, two, one. John, are we live? We're live, sir. How's it going, buddy? Pretty well. How are you today, young man? Doing good. Surprisingly, the shoulder is uh, feeling a whole lot better. I think I'm like 10 days out now. Very good. And uh, I have the sling sitting somewhere below me. I just yeah. have to go slingless. No sympathy <laughs> slingless. from anybody watching today. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm feeling great. So overall, with hindsight being 2020, how did uh, the pain threshold with what you were expecting and what it actually was, how did it compare? Uh, about what I was expecting the first couple days. And okay. then I'll tell anybody who's having any surgery at all, Mm -hmm. uh, get an ice compression machine. So I had this thing called a game ready ice machine. Okay. The hospital gives you kind of a crummy one to take home <laughs> if you ask nicely. Um, cause they weren't going to give me one. I asked, do you have an ice machine? They said, yeah. And they gave me one. Okay. And then I rented a game ready one. So every 30 minutes it ices your shoulder and then you have 30 minutes off, Nice. but it's ice and compression. And I basically lived on that machine for a week. So I had my first follow up yesterday with mm -hmm. Dr. Sklenberg and he said, I'm, he could say this to everybody. Um, and he's a new Facebook friend of mine. So if you're watching, hopefully you don't tell him <laughs> this. Um, but he said, I'm way ahead of where I should be. So oh, that's I'm starting good. PT next week. And okay. it is what it is, but I feel pretty good. Putting my, this is the first time I've used a, uh, or put a button up on in the really? last 10 days. Wow. Because our guest is pretty special. So I got dull. I thought it was because you missed me. Yeah. <laughs> I was barely getting t-shirts on. And then I was... <laughs> Try to button your shirts one-handed. So one real quick question, then we can jump into the interview. Uh, the ice machine, because I did see you post about it yep. quite a bit. And it looked, I mean, you screened great things about it. Were you able to sleep with it? Yeah. Is that something? I mean, it's, I can sleep through some noise. Yeah. If you can't, it does make a little bit of noise. Okay. But yeah, I just basically wore it all night, and it's on for 30 minutes, off for 30 minutes. Cool. Um, it does probably somewhere in the middle of the night not have the same cold temperature that it did when I first put it on. Okay. But at least throughout half the night, I was getting icing in my shoulder. Good deal. And I basically lived on it all day when I was all at right. home. Well, I'm glad that you're back. I'm glad it went That's well. And I'm glad I'm back too. That's all I got for us right now. Cool. I'm going to jump in because we've been chatting with Larry before coming on air. And he's a fun guy. He's as fun in person as he is on air. Yep. Um, Larry Potash is... Uh, if. Those of, if those of you watching don't know him, uh, watch WGN Morning News from time to time. He's been on air since 1995 with WGN since 1994. So I guess that's happy 25th anniversary to yeah. you. Um, he's won the Emmys 11 times. Oh. Yeah. He's our only Emmy Award winner, and he's won it 11 times. Well, he lost he's going to do it. Might as well do it right. Um, and I'm also interested to hear about his new podcast called Backstory, it's got a history background, and uh, I have a history minor, so I'm excited to have you on air. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. So what inspired you to get into morning news? Well, I got into news because uh, I enjoyed history and I enjoyed writing and put the two together. And uh, I originally wanted to be a sportscaster. And then just from a journalism perspective, I just found uh, it limiting. And got into news, in part because you were told in journalism school, you're not going to get a job. And so I just, you know, after you drop a bunch of money on college, you think, I better get a job. Yeah. And uh, got my first job in Longview, Texas, doing news and loved it. And uh, here I am 30 years after that moment uh, in Chicago. And still loving it. And still still loving it. I mean, the morning show is fun for its own reason. But I... I like the serious stuff as much as the stupid stuff <laughs> that we do. 
Well, you guys are so good at doing both things. Mm -hmm. I've, I've watched some of your interviews of politicians or, or very serious situations, and you're very direct. You know, a lot of times I'll watch news and people beat around the bush or throw a lot of softballs to <laughs> right. people. I, I've watched you be very direct with yeah. people and really kind of press people in a way that um, if you're watching certain news stations, they just won't do that. And well, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I just talked about this with somebody uh, in, in an interview that for some reason, anchors in local news not all the time, but too often, they just so desperately want to be liked. Yeah. And they're so afraid of, if I ask a tough question to Mayor so-and-so, they're not going to like me. Yeah. Or the viewer is not going to like me. And it's, Listen, you're not at a cocktail party. They're big boys and girls. They get it. I think the viewers get it too. And you can ask a difficult question because it's your job and do it in a nice way. Yeah. And I, I think we, I mean, yeah, sometimes I get a little excited because I, I hate it when people are BSing me and, and politicians certainly do that in a live interview. They know they can just beat the clock yep. and, and you just do the best you can. And I tell people, look, I'm going to ask the question that I think you would ask if they don't answer it, that tells you something. Sure. Right. And, and that's appreciated because we watch the news because we don't have access to those types of people. Yeah. Personally, we watch the news and you're kind of our, your anchor to them. Mm -hmm. And uh, being able to ask them the tough questions that, yeah, I would ask them is much appreciated because, you know, people pick a news station and they typically have an allegiance to that and they may jump around a little bit. But uh, it's nice to know if you're watching WGN that when a politician or even somebody else that really needs a pointed question asked to them, the question will get right. asked. But then you guys have the fun stuff because um, it's Robin, Paul, you and Pat, right? Mm -hmm. How long have the four of because? All of you have been on WGN for a while. How long have all four of you together been on? I came first 25 years ago. Robin came shortly after me, several months or a year, I, I don't know. And then Paul came in 96. And then we had like a second second wave of Paul, I mean of uh, Pat and Anna came in. And Dean came in around that point as, as well. So as a crew, we've been together for a very long time. And, and even before authenticity became a buzzword on the internet. Yeah. Um, we were just anchoring in the show just like we are, you know, where most of our industry, it's anchor school and we're robots and, you know, you can't laugh at yourself. And, and that's just not who we are. And if, yeah. if for some reason they, they put us on at night, you know, some of the things would go away, but I'd still be anchoring and talking to Robin and Paul the way I do in the morning. Yeah. Well, why wouldn't you? You know, it's so stiff. It's the, and Paul may have mentioned this when he was on you. It's the, the classic, what is the go-to ad lib for every weather person in the United States of America on every newscast? It's chasti chastising the news anchor because, of the, it's the, no, it's the news anchor chastising the weather person because the weather's bad, right? right? It's not funny. It never was funny. It's never going to be funny. And you turn on channel seven, five, and two, and that's what you're going to see this afternoon. Yeah, constantly, because the weather is <laughs> right. cold. right. No, it's you can tell when the four of you are interacting. There is a really fun dynamic that we can tell you guys are probably buddies off air. Yeah, yeah, and and um, there's an old saying in improv: don't ask your partner a question because it kind of puts them on the spot. But we know each other well enough that we actually can do that. Yeah, like I know Paul's mother. You know, I know I know Robin's parents, and I, I we just know so much about each other that it it's just not difficult to do we don't have to make stuff up and yeah i'm not saying it's all great um but just like any conversation at a cocktail party isn't always great right. and but you know we know each other we like each other we annoy each other 
and we call each other on our BS. And so that's very real. And it's like, you know, when you watch MASH, MASH is about surgeons in war doing something very serious, and yet they joke around. Is that inappropriate? Well, I don't know. And that's what they do. And that's what we do. No, it's refreshing because I feel like people are starting to, in, in a new age, get really uh, almost too serious about everything to do. And, and news has a very serious aspect to it mm-hmm. from time to time. But if you maintain a level of seriousness that's always very high, that just isn't fun. It yeah. just isn't exciting to watch. And, um, you know, I don't want to knock another news station, but it's like sometimes I'll watch CNN. I'm, I guess I'm going to go ahead and do it. And by the end of an hour of watching it, I'm like, man, like this, this just really put me in a foul mood because it was an hour of just a lot of seriousness and sometimes very important topics. But it just there's no fun element to it. I leave watching an hour of that in a much worse mood than I started. Whereas when you watch you guys, you do the serious, but you do the fun and you uplift, especially in the mornings when somebody's getting their day Mm -hmm. ready to get going. You don't want something that's not serious and fun mixed in with it. And I think the approach really depends on what your audience is and where you're coming from. Uh, being on a network show at four in the afternoon uh, on CNN is a different animal than WGM Morning News in Chicago. And, and, and we get that. And what our viewers, we, we have that debate in the newsroom. Do our viewers want this in-your-face political coverage for even five minutes for what we do? You know, Do they want it every day? Do they want it once a week? Do they want it just in the big stories? We don't know. We we take our best guess based on the people that we know and that that watch the show. You know, we're not go, we're not trying to be crossfire, but we do want to cover the news, and that's the news. And we don't think people say, "Why well, I only like local news and I only watch national news." People just watch what they want to watch, and we right. just we try to be all things to all people the best we can. Well, you guys, I think you guys do an incredible job of it. Uh, not just because you're on air, but mm-hmm. John and I both. <laughs> Uh, we've been WGN fans. Like we said, we had Paul on and now you're on. Hopefully we'll get everybody else on soon too. What came first, your love for history or love for journalism? Or was it one of those things that just kind of grew together? Um, I probably history because growing up in Boston and you know, you have no perspective as a kid and I'd never been anywhere else, but you had the pilgrims, the, the witches that were, there were no, there were no witches, but the witch trials, I should say, the revolution was, was huge. And, um, and that surrounded me and that those were all my field trips. And, you know, it, it isn't until I left Boston that you realize how special that is. And yeah. so it wasn't this obscure thing in a book. I was living, it was around me. I, I would go to Pioneer Village. I would go to Plymouth Plantation. I would go to Paul Revere's house. So I, these things were real to me, and maybe that's probably how it got uh, started. Well, it's interesting as a kid that you love that, because I have a history minor, and I fell mm-hmm. into it in college, and I started to really appreciate it when I was in college, and I appreciate mm-hmm. it even more now as an adult. Uh, when I was a kid, I hated history. I yeah. mean, history was one of those things where if I was in history class, I'm like, oh, i got to do this again. It's interesting that even being around it, I'm guessing 90 95% of your classmates probably were like, oh, it's history, yeah. but you really took a liking to it. Yeah, and I think that's important. I I had some good teachers, I think. I had this guy, Mr. Wachowski, who used to walk around the room carrying a huge stick. And it was a tough school. Maybe that's why it was. But he used to tell history like a story. And he would say, yeah, you know, know, and these people, they thought Hitler, he was crazy. And they were going to, you know, so he would, it related to us as, you know, uh, 14-year-olds. And it wasn't, here's your sheet and memorize these dates and, 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 uh, and names. And... People love stories. We are a storytelling culture, and you know when you bring the stories of history to life, it, it's just fascinating. You can't believe this stuff is true, 
And uh, there are so many untold stories from history that are far more fascinating than anything on a reality show that exists right now. People don't know what they're missing. And, and I realize a lot of people don't have a lot of time to read a lot of books. And so I enjoy reading them and then uh, trying to say, how can I make this a compelling story in nine minutes? Well, it's it's awesome that you took your um, your news anchor background and your ability to investigate things and then mm-hmm. now took your love for history and kind of meshed them into something called backstory. Mm-hmm. When did backstory start? And was it just, again, that kind of progression of loving history that got you there? You know, we, we um, talked about doing something with, you know, as we were talking about earlier, that media is dying for content and substance more now than than ever. You can't just say, okay, I'm going to buy a Seinfeld and I'm going to put it there. You know, those days are kind of over. A lot of it's reality show. Nobody wants to watch a rerun of a reality show. And I thought, you know, the Tribune at the time, now it's Next Star. We have all these different stations and all these different resources. And it's like we're a hundred separate animals. You know, I can do a story about the Salem witch trials. Why can't they watch that in Portland or Seattle? Just push a button. Boom. There it is. And so to me, I thought it was a good idea to create content. But of course, you have to go through the steps and try and Let's see, what am I going to do? How am I going to do it? And I don't know out the gate that it was going to be such so solid of a history show. I was thinking more like CBS Sunday Morning, which is a little bit more of everything. And it just kind of went down that road, and and we enjoy doing it. So are you looking at stories all across the world, stories locally? Yeah, you know, it's... you know, most of it's Chicago, but I do. I have gone other places. I, I did the Salem Witch Trials recently, and um, I did a went to Lexington, Concord, and I'm doing that for the springtime. And went to Colorado, went to Texas, went to Mexico to interview a psychologist who had documents from the Jesuits regarding the original Exorcist case that the movie is based on. I saw. I saw like yeah. a clip of that. So WGN has been great about letting me go find stories in other places. Fantastic. Yeah. Any any. Um... Uh, favorite destinations when you were traveling to do the story? Well, Mexico wasn't glamorous. <laughs> Where in Mexico did you go? <laughs> right across the border in okay. Juarez. And, um, yeah, that's a tough, that's no, a tough this spot. No, this is not glamour travel. It's get in, get out. We're running around trying to get everything we, we need to get. Uh, interviewed the black Klansman, the real black Klansman wow. that the movie was based on, who lived in El Paso. So that's why I was able to lump those together. So as a, an executive producer, you're trying to be strategic and how can we get the most out of our time and energy and money and um, went to Colorado where the Black Klansmen worked and then found another story there uh, about a guy who's turning this old ghost town into the next Vale. And uh, just these stories that I just happen to find along the way. See, I find all that stuff fascinating. And so if somebody wants to listen to Backstory or watch Backstory, what's the easiest way to do it? Well, uh, the next... Season, I think they're running some reruns now. We moved the time to Saturdays at uh, 10 p.m., and so I think they're running some reruns now for people who didn't miss it, uh, people who missed it. Um, but the, some of the pieces are at wgntv.com slash backstory, and the podcasts are also on that page, If you and you can get the podcast wherever you want, you know, get your podcast. But it's not like when we were growing up where, you know, Tuesday nights, well, you're too young, but Tuesday nights, uh, happy days, 8 o'clock, boom, you're there. You know, people want to watch, what they want to watch, when they want to watch, how they want to watch. And um, so to run a, to take a show like mine that's on the air, off the air, and say, I'm going to run it Saturdays and Sundays, and I'm going to rerun it three times in a year is not uh, 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 is not bad strategy. Right. right. 
it's it's incredible how much access we have to information now as as a consumer. You know, we mm-hmm. I, I, on my way here, I was listening to Audible. Mm-hmm. You know, I can listen to a hundred different things throughout the week and access information, and it's great because these stories of things that otherwise I would have to pick up either. Uh, a book and read about, and mm-hmm. it's one person's view from 15, 20 years ago, um, I now can get a very fresh take on from yeah. people investigating that. And it's, it's, I think we're in a cool time uh, in history, uh, no pun intended, mm-hmm. where we have just so much access online to all this information. Um, any places you like going for history in general, not investigating? Because I, I started going to Europe last year, and I was always traveling kind of in the U.S. and Mexico and not, right. not over the border, Cancun, Cabo, and uh, the beach spots. And going to places like Rome and then going through London, which I'd been to before, um, the access to just history is unbelievable. It, it is. And I did travel through Europe before I had kids, but what has been surprising to me is how many great historical stories exist everywhere around us. We talked about some of the ones from Chicago that I thought every Chicagoan would know and and we're not familiar with. And I'll just, what I did one day as I was just bored and I went to like Wikipedia and I went through the museums and the Indian Museum in Evanston. What? I've never heard of it. I've never heard of it. I went to the Indian, I didn't even know what the story was. I went to the Indian Museum and I, I poked around on their website like, here's a photographer who shot uh, amazing photographs in the uh, of Native Americans, and shot a film of them, and and really cat it's really the only catalog that existed. And I did a deep dive into this guy's story. It was fascinating. And so, literally, you can throw a dart at the internet and come up with, or a map, and come up with an amazing story. I feel like a really crummy history buff right now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because there's so much that I'm probably not tapping into. And um, the background on O'Hare for people watching. Tell us the story because well, I, I didn't I, know this. I don't want to get too much into it because I haven't done the story yet. Okay. But the one name, of the things, so, so when I'm trying to gauge whether something's worth doing, and it's in Chicago since I didn't grow up here, I thought, well, everybody knows where O'Hare got its name. And I was surprised to learn that a lot of people don't, but it was Butch O'Hare who was a, a Navy fighter pilot and, and sort of the original Top Gun, yeah. the original Tom Cruise, if you will, uh, who uh, shot down enemy planes, uh, Japanese planes, and um, the airport is is named after him. And his family has a colorful story, and I'll just leave it at that. But, uh, yeah, it's sometimes you don't know what's um, new if you don't know what's old. And so I always approach it to, do people already know this? And I have to ask people and do like an informal poll. Do you know this? And surprisingly, um, good, uh, you know, which is great for me. I get right. to do a lot of stories and, and uh, it's great to kind of find out about these things. It's something about knowing where you stand in time and place to know how did the country get formed? How, how did, how did we navigate through the civil war? It's just, I don't know. There's a, it's like a security blanket when you understand it for, for me anyway. Yeah, uh, for me as well, and I'm I'm a little ashamed of myself that I didn't know the O'Hare. John, did you know the O'Hare? I did not. I not. did not, and I look forward to seeing the full episode when it's up I, and I can't running. believe that that's not a commonly known story. It yeah. just it, to me that's crazy. Well, they have a a big not a big uh, an exhibit f- for him 
in the Delta terminal, but I never fly Delta, so I never. <laughs> I don't know if anybody does. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm a big Top Gun fan, so I'm yeah. even more ashamed now that right. I didn't know because I'm a huge Top Gun fan. You have a shout out from Leticia Lacey Lopez, Larry. Lots of exclamation points. You're the best. Love my morning news crew. Thank You're you, getting Leticia. Some love there. Um, so, going through YouTube clips and and watching some of the backstory, I came across a really fun clip of you boxing. Mm. And for those people who watch the show a lot, they know that John and I met on a boxing show. Tell us a little bit about that because I was fascinated to see it. Well, I was boxing when um, I probably discovered boxing when I was doing a story and started taking lessons with this amateur boxer named Glenn Friedman at East Bank just as a way to stay in shape. And for those who have never done it, uh, it's a lot harder than it looks, right? <laughs> and, um, and then he came to me with this charity event and I thought, okay, sure. You know, in my position, I can't go to work in a black eye and, no. or, you know, a, a broken nose. But, you know, it was sparring gloves. And I said, that's fine. It's a charity thing. I'll, I'll do it. And I trained very hard for it. And But you think, okay, we're, it's a charity thing. We're going to get in here and play patty cake and dance around and put on a show. Oh, the guy came out of the corner trying to kill me. And I didn't know what to do. I'd never been in a, in a real boxing match before, only sparring. And I thought, like, I, I don't know how to really fight 50%. And this guy's taking a couple of shots at my head, and I just kind of turned it on. Yeah. And um, I think it was a TKO in the second, pretty early in the, in the second. Um, and I felt kind of bad afterwards. But at the time, <laughs> you think, like, I, hey, man, I'm not getting hurt. I, right. I need to go to work Monday. Uh, but it was a great experience. Um, fighting is a, just a very different thing. Like when you play basketball and you say, okay, I can probably go play volleyball. I can probably adapt these skills to tennis. Boxing is a completely different thing. Totally different. Like golf, right? You can be a great athlete and suck at golf. Yeah. Right? yeah I'm, t- I'm, I'm not a great athlete, but I really yeah. suck at golf. Yeah. Much better at boxing than golf. But you look great. I mean, I it was a short clip, and I think they were playing it on air. I think you were on air, and they – most of the people on air had not seen you box before, and they were surprised that you were kicking the guy's butt so bad. Um, so congratulations to that. You looked fantastic. Well, thanks. I mean, he he was – I don't think he was in great shape, but still, you know, that can be deceiving. In a boxing ring, you don't want, never want to judge based on right. looks. But I I think he gassed out. <laughs> yeah, when, we, when we do the real estate yeah. rumble, we've seen that happen so much where somebody who's been training at least for four, five, six months, so they're in – fairly good shape gets in there and they have so much adrenaline and they run at the yeah. other guy and then 30 seconds later they're sucking in wind and you're like uh-oh yeah and i have asthma so my i was my you know my coach glenn you know he really warned me of that and i was very you know when you watch the clip that's why i don't come out and i don't start fist flying like i just i'm gonna chill and see what this guy does well, right because i don't want to be the jerk in the charity bout that's like trying to kill people although i was the last i think it was one of the last fights and the all the guys before me were going nuts i mean they were all out fighting and i just wasn't i just wasn't sure i didn't want to be the guy so i was, i'm just going to react to whatever this guy does well you did a great job yeah. well thanks um any and this might be asking like uh the question what's your favorite child um any favorite um segments episodes guests that you guys have had on it's been 25 years so i'm sure there's a lot well we all come back to tom hanks because that's you know doesn't get much bigger and he, 
there's a difference. We have people who come on who are nice in a professional way. They're nice enough, nice as they have to be. And then there's the guy who goes a little bit more. And Hanks was really cool. And he came walking down the hallway. And we had all, like all the producers, writers, and interns dressed up as his characters. And that was oh, that's cool. That was very very cool. And he was very responsive to it. So that so that was fun. Um, yeah, it's hard to really. I can barely remember what I did today or yesterday. Yeah. Uh, but the Tom Hanks one always stands out. And also uh, John Cleese was kind of funny. Um, from Monty Python because this this woman baked this beautiful Monty Python cake and he took it and he said thank you very much and he threw it over his shoulder. <laughs> yeah. I thought I got, what's he going to do to make this funny and that's what he did. Yeah. You can't really script that <laughs> you one. You can't beat it. Um, that's awesome. And it, you probably come across so many stars and entertainers and and it's from your perspective probably really neat to see their in-person persona mm-hmm. because Tom Hanks, I never knew. I mean, he seems yeah. like a really nice guy, but I never knew he's above and beyond a nice guy. And you probably come across both sides of that, um, yeah. but it's really refreshing to know that a guy as <laughs> yeah. big as Tom Hanks we, is that type We of guy. sort of have this formula. It seems like the bigger they are, the nicer they are. That's awesome. And it's the B-level, C-level celebrity on like some teen show on the CW that's the biggest pain in the ass, yeah. right? <laughs> like, come on. You know, I mean... And and it goes to who you are as a person. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I used to before Dean came on, I was doing the movie junkets in Hollywood, and Brad Pitt, Eddie Murphy, Janet Jackson were all great. And some of those people whose names I don't even remember, not that they were horrible, but they just like they was like put on putting on this air that they're really big, and yeah. it's really a privilege for me to be talking to them. And that's what I remember about that world, which is not my world, because in, in that world, entertainment journalists tend to suck up to yeah. these people. And yeah. I, I had no reason to. I could care less. And I could tell them straight out, I'm a news guy. I just happen to be here. Yeah. And I just try to ask them things that I think the other mopes are not asking them. <laughs> and well, it went well. It's great that you do that also with the stars. I mean, we talked mm-hmm. about it with politicians. You're very direct with them, and you're not throwing them an underhanded mm-hmm. uh, kind of pitch for for an easy hit but it's great that you were doing yeah. them as well, well. You, someone asked me i don't know if it was my wife and said like how come you always are last asking the question to celebrities and i said i really don't it's i don't want to ask the question what's your movie about you know and that has to be asked and i get that um but i usually want to ask the question that has nothing to do with anything and and so i just try to find like my, my best questions come from just listening to what they're talking about and reacting to that yeah, you, you've come across so many influential people and also so many interesting people. Um, I bet it's completely fascinating to, um, to just gain the perspective of so many different interesting folks. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of, you know, again, people in our business are intimidated by important people. And you realize they're just, they're just people. I mean, what is this guy going to take a swing at me? Or is, you know, they're never going to talk to me again? You know, just I ask what, you know, what you think the viewer at home might want to ask or what I'd ask this guy if I was at a cocktail party. You know, it shouldn't be any different. And I think these people appreciate that. Yeah. I think that they see our interviews on WGM Morning News are different than when they go on some of these other stations because we don't kiss their ass. We just treat them like regular people. That's awesome. You got some love coming in here. We got James says, these guys have the best morning show in Chicago, hands down. They all love each other and it shows. I also love it when they break Robin when she... L- loses it i can't help but laugh along with her and you have a watching from texas i miss turning in every morning to the best news crew in the shy do you have a lot of texas love 
Yeah, Robin is um, unusual in that, you know, obviously most people in our business, they always want to put on the best show and uh, typically don't like to take shots. Um, and and she takes all the shots in the world. Uh, she is, you know, the, the younger sister none of us ever wanted, or in Pat's <laughs> case, the older sister. <laughs> so, but, um, and I think that that's a key element in, in our success. They, there are some producers who believe that the morning, uh, that the female figure in the mornings is the key one to get right. And she uh, plays, plays along and dishes it out. And um, I think that's, I think people find that compelling. I think so too. And I think it really, for me, comes back to the, you guys really do a good job of hosting the news, but also making it fun. Because in the morning when somebody's trying to get ready, they might be doing a million things. Somebody might be getting their kids ready to go. Mm -hmm. um, they may be watching um, without doing anything else, but you guys do a very good job of putting people in a informed yet very good mood going forward. And I think there's a big importance to setting somebody's mm -hmm. mood as their day begins. Well, we realize we are background noise and we're happy to be their background noise if, <laughs> yeah. not, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, it's good when it's not a serious background noise undertone. Um, yeah. And it's, it's serious when it needs to be, but you guys also have quite a bit of fun. And we've had to learn to set the table, so to speak, so that we can have fun. Yeah. And you can see when we, and that's to the producer's credit, and, and you know, we come up with creative ideas to make that happen. And you can see at other stations here and other, where, other places in the country where they say, okay, those guys are having success. We want you to be funny. And, but they're not funny off the air, so why would they be funny on the air? And you don't give them anything to even talk about. It's like, you know, what, what is the classic story going into weather? Oh, it's snowing in Denver. Well, who cares? What am I going to say about that? Nothing. Right. And so we set the table in a way that allows us to have fun. No, it, it's great to see, especially because you guys have been doing this for 25 years. I feel like, and I could be wrong, um, recently, at least with a lot of online material, people can gain access to material. There, there's uh, a lot of folks that want to get attention using a little bit of shock, awe, or trying to be overly funny, and they're trying too hard to be funny. And that that's just a way to get attention. You guys naturally have built a synergy over time that has allowed you to just have fun together, and that fun together comes off as as entertaining to everybody else. Yeah, it's been, it's been an evolution. I, I will tell you, we don't do anything to try to get some viral moment, and we make fun of our colleagues and some of the other stations whose social media posts are typically holding the coffee mug or, you know, <laughs> yeah. look, do you think this dress is pretty on me? Like, come on, you either have to be funny or informative. Right. And that, that's kind of our unwritten rule in terms of social media. And on the air, where, you know, they, believe me, there was stuff, we looked at clips on our 25th anniversary show, stuff from 20 years ago, and oh, it's not that funny, but nobody was doing it 20 years ago. Right. And so now when you see a, a morning show doing karaoke, we wouldn't do karaoke if we did karaoke it would because we're making Robin's Christmas album. You know, like there's a reason for it. And so we, we try to be... We, we try to be, I think, uh, irreverent and clever and not sophomoric, although that doesn't always bear out <laughs> on a day-to-day -day basis. I think it's impossible to force funny. You know, no. you see funny forced a lot, and that's hard. You know, funny people are funny. I always tell people, I'm not all that funny, so I'm not going to force funny. If mm -hmm. I got a joke in the moment, I'll, yeah. I'll tell it. But I'm not Eddie Murphy. I'm not, that's not my, it's my thing. Right. I, I, I you know, my, my, my baseball philosophy 
when it comes to humor is you don't want to be Dave came in. You don't want to hit that home run and strike out 50 times. Right. right? Just just hit singles. It's enough, right? <laughs> little ones. Little wins. <laughs> be the Rod Carew. <laughs> you got uh, some more love. You guys are freaking awesome from Javier Rodriguez. I see the other channels trying to do what you guys do, and it just looks so fake. Keep up the good work. Oh, that I may put that on a billboard, Javier. Uh, Thank you. Nice. I'd send me a picture, Javier, and we'll put you on there <laughs> so you get credit. Tim's got a fun uh, segment comment. He goes, "Have you given any more Floby haircuts lately?" <laughs> so I gave a Floby haircut to Paul uh, mm-hmm. twenty years ago, and it never came back. Yeah, and, uh, the, you know the lawyers had some discussions, and we worked it all out. It, it was a one one time and done. Paul had yeah. a lot of fun with that when he was on there. <laughs> yeah. Um. So. How do you split your time between, because obviously you're on from 6 to 10 mm-hmm. in the mornings, and then now you have backstory. It seems like you just, that, 6 to 10 is virtually every day. How do you split yeah. that time to be able to go and then do backstory as well? It is it is a second full-time job, and I didn't think it would be, but um, it's a lot of work and uh, to get it right, to do it well, I think. And Mike D'Angelo is the photographer and editor, and he is a big reason why it comes off not like a news package, but more like um, cinema, I, I think, and uh, we do a lot of dark and mysterious stories. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I go home, I sleep, I get up, and I'm reading or writing on most days. Or I'm out shooting, I, I leave the show and then I go out and shoot. Um, or I get off the show and I go to log tape. And so yeah, it's, um, I've got to figure this out. I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep a schedule yeah. because I sleep in the afternoons and um, you know I'm getting old. Uh, but, uh, it's just, yeah, it's consuming a lot of time, but I enjoy doing it. Well, you got a real passion for it. I think if you didn't have a passion for what you do, that would be really, that'd be a really tough schedule to up, yeah. uphold. I mean, just being on the news in the morning, like you said, you sleep in the afternoon. That's mm-hmm. not normal. I mean, John and I wake right. up in the morning and then we sleep at night. You have kind of that shift and you have a family that, mm-hmm. um, also takes up, um, I'm, I'm sure a good right. portion of your time that scheduling as a business owner, we spoke off air, mm-hmm. you know, we, business owners and uh, people who might not be business owners have a different mindset on a lot of things. And scheduling for me, I'm a poor scheduler. I'm, I'm yeah. one of those guys who just can't schedule. Most business owners can. And um, I was totally interested on how you're doing the morning news because you can't just call in and say, hey, I'm not coming into the morning mm-hmm. news today. I'm going to go do backstory. Um, and I think it has to be your passion that drives that. Yeah, I always tell students to you know find what you're passionate about and when they say they don't know i'm always perplexed by that how much time have you put in trying to figure that out because the worst fate in life is to have to go to a job that you don't enjoy doing because you're going to be doing it a lot yeah and i don't think they realize that and a lot of kids uh of course there's that segment that thinks they're the next diane sawyer and then there's the the segment that thinks they'll never be good enough and the reality is most of them are just in between uh but i but i always tell them listen don't play it safe don't go take the cubicle job because you're afraid to take a shot at whatever your dream is. Uh, because at the age of 23, 24, 25, there's plenty of time to recover. Right. You don't want to hit 33 with a wife and a kid and say, gee, I wonder what life would have been had I been a reporter or a lawyer or whatever the case, or an actress or whatever the case may, may be. No, I agree with you totally. And I, I fell into the uh, position where, you know, my dad was a doctor, my gr- uh, grandpa was a doctor. So I was like, well, that's probably what they want me to be. And it took me through three years of college before I had a real sit down with my dad. It was probably the worst day of his life. <laughs> Tell him, dad, I don't want to be a doctor. And his response <laughs> to me was like, well, what the hell do you want to be then? Like there was no other job. Yeah. And then I went to law school and I 
I think I love the business side of law. I don't love law, but mm. I think a lot of kids think, you know, society wants them to be a certain thing or mom and dad want them to be a certain thing. And they don't then carve out what their passion is or think about it. Like you said, right. And there's so many resources for kids. I mean, just Google it. Right. I mean, like I had to go to the library, but I just kind of knew what I wanted to do at a very early age. And I thought every kid did. I thought every kid was trying to figure that out. And now of course I know, uh, they weren't, but yeah, and I and I tell a kid will come to me in their senior year, and they say, "Well, I didn't. I want to be a journalist, but I didn't go to journalism school." And I said, "Well, why did you pick that school?" Well, my mom went there, or the the campus was beautiful, or they had a good football team. I said, "You are learning to do something that you are going to do every day for the rest of your life. Those are not good reasons to pick a school." Yeah, right? maybe the worst reasons to pick <laughs> yeah. a school. Do you think, in hindsight, the fact that you grew up in Boston? Helped you love history, or do you think you would have just always loved history? I don't. There's no way to way, no to, way tell. to tell. I I, um, I think Boston had had a part, a, a big part in it, and uh, the teachers that I had, who I thought were were fun, and maybe being terrible at math and science. <laughs> Me too. That was that was part of the reason med school wasn't right. happening. I was getting to organic chemistry, and I was like, yeah. Hey, if I show my dad my organic chemistry grade, I'm probably never getting into med school. Right. Um, Maggie asked, was there a segment that did not make the anniversary show that you wish had? The anniversary show was great. Been watching you all since the beginning. Hmm. I'm sure there is. I really, I barely knew what was going to be in the show, let alone what was cut out of the show. So you're catching me off guard here. I don't have anything off the top of my head uh, that didn't make that show. 25 years of doing it and you do it Five days a week, correct? Yeah, that's a lot of shows. I'm guessing it's a, it's a lot. My math sucks. It's again. a lot. Well, the thing was, we didn't really have a great library system. A lot of our stuff came from VHS tapes that Robin's grandfather, for whatever reason, was taping back in the '90s. That's awesome. And I had saved some clips on my tapes, but um, it wasn't like you just look in the computer and search for X. Like we, this was the first deep dive where we went and accumulated all this stuff, and thank God we'll never have to do it again. Um, uh, assuming it's 50 been well, year anniversary? Uh, yeah. Assuming it's been well cataloged, uh, so we'll see. Well, yeah, you, you wouldn't think that, but yeah, twenty twenty five years ago, they weren't just streaming and recording everything virtually right. online in a cloud. Right. It, well, yeah. Even recorded. now, we don't save things forever. So if you don't right. set out to save it on a hard drive, uh, it it's not getting saved. So it's a lot of data saved yeah, every yeah. single day yeah. for. Uh, well, believe me, it's years. not all worth saving. I'm not suggesting that. <laughs> You got Javier saying he'd kill to have a drink with you and Paul. That would be awesome. You got a lot of fans. You got a lot of liquor in here. You should. You should <laughs> yeah. That's you got to weave that into your marketing campaign. We um, we had I think the last show we we weren't on last week, John, because I was I was out. Right. But the last show we right. had uh, two gentlemen on that opened a wine store, so they brought wine in. We we're drinking as the show was going on. Which was awesome. We've had a couple shows where yeah. we drink during the show. Yeah. Yep. it's a bit early in the morning to start yeah. drinking. Well, early not for, for me. us, not for you. Yeah, it's five <laughs> o'clock for you basically right now. Um, with backstory, and I want to go back to it because yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Um, is this something you plan on doing for a, a very long period of time? Just as your fascination for different history stories takes you, you're just going to continue that on? Well, I have no shortage of stories. Yeah. Even as I speak, I have the spring. T I have the next season kind of mapped out, and I probably have another season, the on deck circle, kind of mapped out, and I, I find new ideas almost every day. So. Is that process you just kind of looking for stories? Do people come to you with stories? It's mostly me. Uh, you know, sometimes I find them looking for something else. I'm searching. I'm on a morning show and I'm, I'm doing some impeachment uh, research. And, oh, hey, who's this guy? And then I'll, 
yeah. I'll do, and then I'll just kind of copy block it and save it. And then, you know, I've got files and files and files and files and, and so there's no shortage of, of stories, but you know, you never, when you're in the TV business, you're never planning out too far ahead. Well, what's great for you now with technology is you can go down that Google rabbit hole of, you yeah. can just start to search and it could take you right. forever and you could find a million different stories. I used to, I'm old enough that I had to go to the library to look at encyclopedias when yeah. I was doing reports and stuff. I imagine that process of trying to get all the data that you're getting now yeah. would have been tedious there's um yeah it, it sure would have been there was this one story uh, about um that i again i i just when i was bored one day went on wikipedia chicago sports up came a basketball team the american gears never heard of it asked people around never heard of it couldn't find anything on the american gears and found a woman in lake forest whose husband was on the team and had written a self-published book on it wow. that nobody had ever seen and there were only two or three items in the Hall of Fame regarding the gears. And so we went there to go see it and to tell this story, which was an amazing story about how they won the championship and all the owners hated the owner. So they broke up the team and um, they broke up a dynasty because this team, this is where George Mikan came from. George Mikan was from DePaul. Everybody knows him from the Lakers. This is where he came from, the American gears. When they got George Mikan, they became the championship team. It's an amazing story that exists online, and we did it without any video. How far back <laughs> was that? That would have been the late 40s. That's crazy. I, John, have you heard of the American Gears? I had We're not. really no, bad, I'm not. me and you right here. Yeah. But I'm guessing you asked a lot of people, and they were like, John and I, we had no idea. Nobody, nobody knew what this nope. team was. Even sports people, nobody knew what this team was. And so, again, I went down that rabbit hole and, and ended up with this amazing story that um, is worth checking out. Even if you're just in TV and you don't like sports, you want to see how do we do a story without any video? It's pretty cool. Uh, we always like to ask this question um, to everybody that comes on air, and then I'm going to let John ask some questions mm -hmm. as well because uh, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, we always ask for a piece of advice, and you've given some advice um, throughout the show already, but if somebody wants to get into journalism um, or history or news, or it could be just somebody who wants to be successful, what's a piece of advice or two that you would give them? Uh, well, for news, I always start with this. Read a book. Because journalism TV students think it's a trade, like this is how I hold the microphone. This is how I pick out a soundbite. I like talking to people. Yeah. I'm in front of a camera. No, the hardest thing that kids struggle with is trying to figure out what's going on. And a house fire may be a house fire, but not every story is like that. And so when they send me their reels, I end up saying to them, 95% of the time, I don't get what your story is. They don't get what it is because they don't get what news is. They think it's, they think it's passing along information. I say, well, I can re read my refrigerator manual on TV. That's passing along information. That's yeah. not news. And I said, we are a watchdog for authority. We are challenging uh, power. And they, they kind of know that, but they don't really. It's not right here. And so that's my advice I give to journalists. And then I say, and this I think applies to other industries, which is think two jobs ahead. I have students who, who go on and they're in, you know, let's say Longview, Texas and making, you know, minimum wage. And they say, hey, the guy across the street just offered me a job for $2,000 more. I'm like, does that get you where you want to be two jobs from now? No. Don't, don't, don't cross the street for a couple of grand. 
It's yeah. a marathon, not a sprint. You know, think about where you want to be two jobs from now, and that's how you plot your career out. And don't do anything to jeopardize that just for money. Love that. We've we've got a lot of pieces of information. Never put like that before Correct. thinking two jobs ahead. Love that. Yep. John, uh, you got any questions? Oh, a slew, a slew. I, I, I wanted to make sure that you were able to ask some too. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I've been writing notes as we've gone along mm -hmm. here a little bit. And my first, my first question actually is uh, all the way back in the beginning, you said that sports was sort of your thing. That's where you're heading and it was sort of limiting. But did you ever do any actual sports reporting was that did you get your feet wet doing that and then realize right quick ooh, let's get out of this well in school i had a sports tape and i had a news tape and uh but i think just by the very nature of working in small markets when you are doing everything you end up doing some sports stories sure. gotcha but i found that i was more of a red sox celtics patriots fan and didn't care about the high school volleyball team in longview texas right. <laughs> so um and then you know they're the worst interviews, typically. You know, the baseball soundbite, the basketball. We're taking it one day at a time. It's a big cliche parade. And so, you know, it just it didn't interest me to do every day for a living. And news to me was much more interesting. The downside of that was when you're 22 years old, you realize how much you don't know about the world. And you don't care about the stock market and all these different things. And you have to kind of, you know, find your way. Right, right. Back to read a book. Yeah. Back to reading a book. Yeah. <laughs> you have to know something to ask proper questions. I agree. Right. Uh, the nine at nine, that's sort of my, my favorite segment when I'm able to actually be at home in front of a television to watch. And being a five-day-a-week show, and you guys, I believe, do the nine at nine every mm -hmm. single day. Yeah. That is a just a bevy of information you, the four of you, divide up and, and send out. Who, who does all of that? I mean... I'm a behind the scenes, more of a behind the scenes guy. Mm -hmm. Mo is the in front of the camera guy. Uh, so I have a, an appreciation for both sides of the coin. But is it, do you have researchers, interns? Do you, do you bring stuff to the table? All of you well, bring stuff to the table? Well, the nine at nine, we have a, a, cup, a producer and a writer, and they're primarily responsible for the nine at nine. We will certainly send ideas for things that we see. Mm -hmm. the, but the nine, we've had a lot of great feedback on the nine at nine. I think it's one of those segments that have become appointment viewing and it's just because of the nature of what the nine is and the time slot that it is we have time to just kind of sit back and shoot it and let it fly and yeah. usually we're a little tired by then and our filters wearing thin <laughs> so, which can be good and bad right um so it's it's unpredictable and that's so much of morning news especially at the network level it's just so vanilla and predictable yep. it's your interview on osteoporosis it's it's happy chatter and it's everybody pretending to be super nice about everything. And we just let it fly and say things that would probably get you fired at Good Morning America every single day. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, there it is. That actually, that kind of set me up for my, my next question. And I've only got one or two more, but when you're, when you're doing interviews, regardless of what hour of the day, but usually as you, as you just stated, the later in the morning, the longer the segments and you're able to kind of, you know, mm -hmm. just let things fly. But I'm not asking you to name names necessarily, but have you ever been sitting and doing an interview with somebody who's to the left of Robin and you guys are all engaging and just think to yourself, what the hell are you talking about? I mean, has there ever been somebody who just comes on and starts just going off in a direction that, wow, <laughs> I had no idea where you're going with this. 
No, I mean we had the what the what's that karate guy's name? David Carradine, Carradine, yeah, who yeah. who I think was out of his mind when he came on, and <laughs> we I, we realized quickly the wheels were wobbling when he dropped the f bomb. Yeah, and so there's that which doesn't happen frequently. Right, but you know what's what's interesting about the experts that we have on, whether it's an author or what have you, you would think, and this gets back to the business world of trying to communicate whatever your message is, you would think they would be able to articulate their message and hit a home run. And boy, they struggle. Yeah. And their PR people, they struggle. And I end up, we end up looking at this when we get it on paper and thinking, what is this? Right. Like what? What are these tips? Like what? I, this makes no sense to me. Right. And they can't articulate. I think. Like, what are you doing here? Um, <laughs> and and you know sometimes I'll, I'll so I'll take the book and I'll say okay I know that's your tip that doesn't mean anything to me but that's interesting and so but a PR people person should be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, sure. uh, the author should be able to do that. They're not putting their best foot forward as they try to connect with the media. Well, I think I, I had a mentor teach me this term. He said, everything you put out in business has to be childlike clarity. If a child mm -hmm. can't understand what you're putting out, most people might not get it. And when you were saying you uh, mentor some of the people that send you reels, it's kind of like if you don't get the message, even in journalism mm -hmm. or business, and a person can't figure out what you're doing quickly, mm -hmm. um, that message is probably going to get lost. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear that somebody who makes it obviously successful enough to make it onto a new show would still not be able to have that childlike clarity. Yeah, well, it gets back to that critical thinking of what is, what are we talking about here? What is BS? What is meaningful? And for a PR person, I think the trap for them and the mistake that they make is they pitch it based on their client's interest, not on our viewer's interest. Mm -hmm. You would think they'd be one and the same, but maybe, maybe they're not. I don't know. I'm not a PR person, but um, you have to look at it from the perspective of the viewer. And they'll often send me a sexy topic. I'm like, yeah, that's a sexy topic. What's he going to say? Right. What are the tips? I don't want them to get on TV, on live TV, and say, well, you need to take it one day at a time. Well, I didn't need to turn on my TV <laughs> yeah. to hear that. And so that needs to be mapped out ahead of time. And, and that's the idea of know your audience. Yeah. Um, and I think over 25 years of doing it, you guys have probably, and you said it's, it's hard to tell your audience sometimes, but I think you've probably got a good idea of who your audience is and what, what meshes and works well with your audience. We like to think we do, um, but, but um, you never know. I mean, you, 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 when we have on Wednesdays, Web Wednesdays, when the woman who manages the web traffic comes in and tells us what the most watched things online, we're just like, going, are you kidding me? That's what people watched? Yeah. <laughs> right? So I, I don't know. I mean, we like to think we do it, but I think the trap for us is to think that every viewer of ours is like the fan that comes out to our blog party and just you know loves everything we do. Like, you can't play to those people. You tr for us, we want to cast the biggest net possible, and we want to get the most people we we can. And um, you know, I, I I always we always make the joke when someone like with a, with a graduate degree and a law degree watches our show. I you know that's that's great. It's refreshing to know that maybe we're not as stupid as we think we are. I think I think generally speaking, most people just want to watch people who come off authentic mm -hmm. and are going to be fun to watch. I mean, I, like I said, I mean, I watch all different, if, if I'm trying to just get a quick news clip in the middle of the day and it's not a time where somebody might be on, I might go to CNN, but I, I'm gonna watch that for 10, 15 minutes yeah. and then I'm off. If I'm gonna watch some 
a group of people for a long period of time. I just want to know that they're authentic and I, I enjoy my hour or two mm-hmm. hours of watching them because that can become tedious if it's not authentic and it feels forced. To watch anything right. forced, whether it's on the news or if it's uh, an interview or if it's just two people chatting, if it's forced, that's yeah. not fun to watch consistently over yeah. and over again, at least from one viewer standpoint. Right. John, I, I know I jumped no, in and no, you were asking I, I, questions. I, I, no, everything that you said, I just I absolutely agree with. I've only got a few more and it's mm-hmm. just things that... As far as backstory, I know that you said you've got uh, next season plotted out and, and perhaps a little bit beyond. How many episodes are, make up a season, or, or is it sort of in flux? Four. four. Four episodes for a month, and each episode has two or three eight- to ten-minute pieces. So that's where we, we are right now. It's not like when we, were, when we were kids and a season was... Like, I don't know, what was it, six months? Yeah, sure, <laughs> you sure, know? sure. Episode 21. Uh, right, right. Now, now you hear episode 21, and it's been on the air for three years. <laughs> it's like 24 uh, was 24 episodes every yeah, season. Yeah, yeah. That, I know that made sense, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, and one other real quick. With you being having been in journalism as long as you've been uh, and seeing so many changes as the way you uh, – things are presented and such just your take on social media and and how it's helping to support or detract from true journalism and what you guys do and the people out in the field who are really hard working individuals yeah. opposed to just stating opinions as facts on Twitter as some people do. Um, I think there are a lot of different questions and issues in that one. Yeah. Question. I'll let you but, unfold. All well, that. I'll just say this. Um, it's not like the old days where the guy sat at the table with a clock over his shoulder and you had to get up off the couch to go change a channel. And, and so we're trying to figure out, the industry is trying to figure out where does the social media and the web and the TV, how does it all work? I don't think anybody's quite figured that right. out. And I think the, the mentality is, just do Twitter. Just do Facebook. Put it out there. Put it out there. And we'll just, which I'm not, a, I'm not, saying that's a bad idea. Like, let's just keep doing whatever it is we're doing until somebody figures out what we're supposed to be doing. And that's what we do. Um, Another point is you see the younger journalists who maybe grew up with social media and the web, unlike us, uh, they're posting a selfie at the murder scene, which is incredibly unprofessional, uh, unkind, inconsiderate, mm-hmm. and you hope there's a news director there that's teaching them not to do that anymore. Yeah. So that's an issue. Um, I don't know. Am I, am I no, you, un- you've, I'm trying yeah. to unpack all, right. all of this? It, it, some of that's really bad taste. But I also think the problem is social media is evolving so fast that you almost, like you said, you're trying to figure it out. You put the finger on the dial and you're like, oh, shit, now it's changed completely. And it's, com- mm. it's completely something else now. I see it in the business side of things now. We, we figure out you know, a social media marketing campaign and then two weeks later, Instagram's changed what they're doing and Facebook's changed what they're doing. We're like, oh, shoot, well, now we got to adapt and shuffle yeah. again. Well, and here's the other thing about so- social media. In terms of information, there is a lot of junk out there. And fake news is not news that makes you feel bad. Fake news is new- news that somebody literally made up or took an existing story and really twisted it for some purpose of manipulation. And I see this all the time. I see educated people send me something that I know is from an email chain or from a Facebook post. And I know it's BS the moment I see it just from where it came from. And then I'll do the research, and sure enough, yeah, it's BS. So as much as people like to complain about mainstream media, we literally 
have thoughtful discussions and have consequences. And, and you know, uh, unlike the stories that are passed to me from people that come from websites that I've never even heard of, let alone a chain mail. And I'll give you an example. Somebody sent me an email and it was something to the effect of Hillary Clinton is being hidden in Chelsea's apartment, which is actually a secret health clinic. Right. And so- you know what? There was some truth to that. I did the research and I went online and I found Chelsea Clinton's building had been a health clinic 18 years ago before the real estate market <laughs> changed or whatever. And so there's always a shred of truth to these email chain stories, but that's what they do. They take one fact and they twist. It changes the whole truth. There are some facts, but the truth is not there. And I think it's, um, it, it's not a good idea to... Re, to um, resend that or repost that, it's like spreading a virus. Yeah. And do yourself a favor and spend five minutes to figure out what it is you're spreading around before you spread it. And don't just pass it along because you happen to agree with whatever, whatever sentiment came out of it. I can't agree more. I This was about two weeks. Actually, it was when I was sitting at home. So last week, I called a friend of mine that shared something and I, I, he was a good friend of mine. And I said to him, I said, what you just did was a little negligent. Mm-hmm. I said, people, he's got a good following. And I said, you know, people obviously take to your opinion and uh, things that you post. Do a little background research because mm-hmm. you're influencing people by spreading that. And things can go viral um, that are posted. So shame on the person who didn't mm-hmm. do any investigating or knew what he was doing yeah. and used a nice tagline to get hits. Let's like clickbait. And shame on you for sharing. And he actually took it. He was really nice. Like, well, I didn't really look into it. And I'm like, come on. I know like, you didn't. <laughs> you, I mean, you could have read the title. And he was a really smart guy. I'm yeah, like, that's the thing. Like, You're a really sharp guy. Right. You could have taken 10 seconds to think about that. But he shared it quickly. And it's because he had a very big bias to the story, to one side of the story. But it's like, that's, in my opinion, that's very negligent. Because people who might not take the time to... Um, investigate might take that as a partial truth. Right. Well, it's on, it's on a screen in front of me, therefore it yeah. must be be must true. Be true. And Thirty years ago, none of us had this outlet. Now we all have this outlet, and it's not necessarily a good thing. Uh, information. You have to be careful about your information. And you know, I get blowback from they'll see me ask a question of a, a political person. And if, so if I, have a, if I have a Democrat on, I'm going to say, okay, what would a Republican ask this person? And Because I want to challenge them, and I would ask that question. Well, when people hear me asking a question from a Republican perspective, they'll say, aha, I knew it, you're a Republican, et cetera, et cetera. I say, listen, I'm not Joe Blow at a cocktail party. I mean, that's what most, or I'm not posting on Facebook because that's what most people do. They post on Facebook what they agree with. I'm just looking at the news. I'm a news person, that's what my job is. Uh, but because of all this, I really try to avoid posting politics because I know that's what people think. Yeah. And um, although sometimes I do if it's a big story like the impeachments this morning. But um, in, in general, I just try to avoid it because I know people have that perception. I, I do, too. I mean, I obviously don't have the same following, but I know that the moment I comment on anything political, and I mean, I'm pretty much in the middle of the road, but... Anytime I post something, there's 50% of people are so heated one way versus right. the other. I mean, every election is basically 51, 49 minus uh, right. a handful of them. So you, you're pissing off half the people. And right. the, the people who are extremely one way or the other are going to just jump down your throat and then define you as something you may not be at all. Right. If you're at MSNBC or if you're at Fox, you, you're you preaching to that choir. And, that, and you know that. That's your business model. That's not the news. Those right. are shows about the news, right? It's not the news. They're different. For us, we know Chicago is 
you have Republicans and Democrats. I mean, obviously the city is very left, and then you get in the suburbs, it starts to go right. I want everybody. I'm not going to piss everybody off by right. trying to somehow manipulate it one way or the other. It's it makes bad business sense. If uh, aside from the journalistic issues, it's it's bad business. Well, I, I think what's uh, refreshing about your take is that you, it's it's none of your bias in your thoughts and. Uh, it's you just asking the questions that people want to hear because you know that politician is going to give his take that his side wants to hear, but you're asking, mm -hmm. what does the other side want to hear? And then you do encompass a story for, for everybody, for mm -hmm. people who he's obviously speaking to, and then people who would be asking him the questions, like you said, at a cocktail hour. If they were uh, you know, uh, brave enough to ask him those questions, you're, you're asking it for them. Right. And that's refreshing to see. And I think one of the clips I was, wa I was watching, a lot of clips, and I've watched you guys over the years, but when I was YouTubing Backstory, I went down the rabbit hole of watching clips of you on yeah. YouTube. That's how I came across the boxing. And a couple of the YouTube clips that had a lot of views were your questioning of politicians mm. in specific. So you go on YouTube and search your name, and I don't know how often you do that. A lot of your, <laughs> a lot of your segments, there was one with you wearing no pants or you had knee surgery. Oh, that yeah. one had a lot of hits. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then it was your direct questioning of politicians that mm. seemed to have gotten a lot of views because I think people really loved the fact that you were just asking the tough questions. Well, thanks. I mean, I don't think I'm doing anything spectacular, but like I said before, I think a lot of um, a lot of people just are, get intimidated and yeah. uh, are afraid to ask that that question. Well, we appreciate it because we don't have access to them like you do. Mm -hmm. John, am I? Sure. I'm no. taking up more no, of your questions. Yeah, no, like absolutely. That was really those were uh, those were the primary questions I just wanted to ask. We're fans of your show and fans of your new show backstory, and Thank I just you. wanted to get a little bit. Uh, I'm not going to say the no, we want to get backstory on your backstory but just want to find out a little bit more of where how you go about crafting some of the, the stories and and whether it's on the news or how you went about uh coming up with backstory i know mo covered it a little bit but yeah good good work i mean just you know that's why we were so happy to have you come in you're and he's really, won 11 really emmys john that too that too that too you know i mean that's that's in our future i'm sure but <laughs> <Yeah>. uh <laughs> but uh so no, um, that, that was it. You had one more shout out because uh, I know she's still watching. Carrie Wilson said that backstory was great about the American gears. I love your show, Larry. I wish it came on earlier. Earlier. Yeah. Can well, you do something about that, please? Uh, <laughs> I can't. It was on. It used to be on earlier, but um, I, I found that the news is a better lead in than uh, some rerun of a sitcom. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's how it's working out. Well, I don't make those decisions. Before we let you go, I always like asking this as well. You're obviously a very busy guy between the news, backstory, and having a family. Um, what do you do outside of that for fun? What do I do other than you know being with my family and reading a lot? I love playing basketball. I, um, I play with a bunch of old guys once a week, which is about all my knees can take. And I've never had so much fun playing so poorly. Uh, but, <laughs> but everybody collectively plays kind of poorly. Yeah, in those well, leagues. we match up like there'll be, you know, the 50-year-old covers the 50-year-old, the 30-year-old covers the 30-year-old. And then if some, some, some one of the 50-year-olds brings their high school kid, he, he's on his own. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, but we have a great, uh, I just have a great time um, playing basketball. And I hope I uh, can do it for, for a long time. It's just, it's just fun to hang out with a bunch of guys and, and talk sports and uh, and play and play basketball and uh, yeah that's that's kind of what I do for do you do you coach as well do you coach basketball? I, I coach my daughter's uh, school team mm. which was, now they're in sixth grade but it's 
you know, my daughter, my daughter's very into basketball, so she's very serious about it. And then you got a bunch of people who are there to just have fun, which is great, and yeah. that that's fine. But that was a new experience for me to Coaching. manage ten. Uh, girls in sixth grade <laughs> with a marginal interest in basketball <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right <laughs> um my basketball career ended in the eighth grade i loved basketball i yeah. stopped growing and i was like eh, we're gonna go do something else basketball is not gonna work for me and the knees are okay because I, I saw the no pants story was yeah. post knee surgery i hate to say it, they're doing great that's awesome so, good um, knock on wood you know yeah. i i find i i do i have a whole back exercise regimen now which is something like i never did like when we were kids you never stretched i never did weight just you just went out and Play. just played basketball yep. now you got a phone roll do for, it. for an hour before you right play for an hour <laughs> you have to i ha- i literally could not walk if i didn't yeah. didn't stretch and, and all that well, he did a no pants story when he had knee surgery. Can yeah. I do a no shirt story when I had shoulder surgery? <laughs> well, on? I have two two answers to that. One, you seem oddly interested in his no pants story. Uh, it was, it had a, a lot of hits. Times. It was fun. It was it was a blast. Well, most people only see me from the waist up, so it, it's a mystery. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well. Thank you for coming on. We Thanks really appreciate you taking fun. the time. And I know this is after you've already had a work day, so yeah, we right. really appreciate your time. I had a blast. Congratulations on obviously 25 years of success on the news, 11 mm-hmm. Emmys. But congratulations on taking a passion and then making backstory a success as well. I'm a huge geek for uh, history, like I said, and I can't wait to watch full episodes and just watch more of backstory. Thank you. Thank uh, you thanks very for much. Coming thanks, on. guys. Absolutely. And we'll be on at 3 o'clock again today because this was a special show for a special guy. Right. That was earlier, but we have an incredible show at 3 o'clock as well today. We do. We are going to have on two guests in the same, somewhat in the same industry. I'm very excited about. We are going to welcome uh, Mary Cousin, who is the founder of the, uh, uh, it's called Shy Tag, and it's an expo that's going to be taking place weekend after next on Navy Pier, and it's all about uh, table games and board games. Uh, so inventors from around the world come, and there's a Thursday and Friday they get to pitch to Hasbro and some of the bigger uh, companies out there. But then Saturday and Sunday, the uh, expo is open to the public, so uh, adults, uh, parents can bring their kids and see what's coming out on the market just in time for Christmas and such as far as games. But also, uh, with Mary in studio is going to be a gentleman named Max Temkin. Max Temkin is best known, I believe, I would say, uh, as one of the co-creators of a game that I very much like. It's called Cards Against Humanity. <laughs> and funny. he is a funny, funny guy. And I've, I've watched some, some content of his as far as interviews he's done. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm very excited. He's, he's a very smart person, very smart individual uh, with a wicked sense of humor. And I'm, I'm looking forward to having the two of them in because they're specialists in the industry. And it's going to be I think it's going to be a really, really fun show with a, a whole lot of wit and a whole lot of look at the uh, the game industry that maybe we don't know anything about. So I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited to find out what his favorite Cards Against Humanity card is. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's 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 that'll gonna be, be one of my questions. Right. <laughs> He's got to have a good sense of humor with that. Oh my with that gosh! Game. Yeah. Absolutely, and and one of the interviews I watched, I mean, he's just he's a he's a like I said, very kind of a dry sense of humor, but wicked when you're you know paying attention to what he's saying. He's he's just a funny dude who's got uh, got a whole lot of knowledge behind him. So yeah, awesome. I'm looking forward to the three o'clock show, as well as we very much looked forward to this one. Thanks so, again, Larry, and everybody you. else. We'll see you guys again at three o'clock. Two we for sure one today. In three, two, one. Thanks a bunch, buddy. <laughs> <laughs>